Hey guys, welcome to episode 13 of the Protus Common Sense Podcast. I am a avid TikToker, as you well know, as maybe you wish you didn't know. And I spent a lot of time both producing content and consuming content. And when the right stuff comes by, uh, you know, as I'm scrolling through, uh, I, I like to dive in a little deeper and see what I can learn. And one of these folks that I ran into is Kate Gillespie. And uh, she's known as Kate is booked on both TikTok and Instagram. Kate, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. So what we're going to talk about, guys, today is Kate's background is in supply chain. So you want to tell me, as we started before we we started recording here, we talked about how she ended up um, in her current position and what she does today. So you want to describe a little bit about how you ended up where you are why you did it and what it is about it that like is enjoyable to you. It's, it's a really challenging thing that you're in a supply chain and logistics. And I think outsiders would be like, okay, how did you end up here? Definitely. So my current title is senior production planner and I work at a fortune 500 fashion company that everyone is probably pretty aware of. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and that is where my office is too. If not for COVID, I would probably be traveling over to factories overseas. Unfortunately, travel's been halted. But I was born, I was born in Austin, raised in Dallas. That's where I grew up. And then I went back to Austin for school and I majored in supply chain management because I to the business school at UT and I had no idea what to do and I hated finance and I hated accounting. And so supply chain was a math to me that made sense because you were dealing with actual units, um, not really abstract thoughts. It was real world examples. And I really enjoyed that. I worked in Houston for a couple of years for a very small fashion company after graduation. And then I started applying for jobs anywhere and everywhere. I was just looking for a change. I had lived in Texas all my life. I wanted a new adventure. And I applied to this company called Cody Cosmetics, which is in New York. And I didn't know much about them. And it turns out that Cody Cosmetics in 2017 had just acquired a huge portfolio of cosmetics brands from Procter & Gamble, including CoverGirl. And so I started working for CoverGirl as a demand planner. And that whole situation was so funny because I even have a formal interview. I would say the director at the time said, I think your application looks good. I don't really want to go through HR. Do you feel like you could do this job? And I thought I've only been to New York once in my life. And it was when I was in high school. I was going to so, ask that because it's a little bit of a change going from Texas to New York. And it's not like you're going from, you know, Austin to, to Brooklyn. You were like, like you, you, you had a pretty significant cultural change, I think, leaving Texas and going to New York. Sure. Absolutely. Very different. So I went in, I looked for an apartment. I remember I was sitting with my mother. We went to a diner after looking for apartments in Brooklyn and I didn't have an offer letter yet. And to be able to live in New York, you pretty much have to have proof of income. And I remember calling my director that day and before he had offered me the job and saying, I need an offer letter in the next hour. <laughs> and he and it said, happened? okay. Okay, it happened. I said, I can't move here unless I have an offer letter. So if you want me to work here, then you live here too. Um, I have since I've had my current position for about a year now. So I worked at Cody for three years and then I moved on back into the fashion 
industry. And instead of on the demand planning side, I moved to the supply planning side. Um, so that's been my journey in a nutshell, I think. Very cool. So I, the, the, the TikTok that I saw you were, you, you, and a lot of your content has been about the supply chain and in produce, uh, and, and agriculture in general. I mean, all of us are affected by the supply chain and, and everything that we do, right? It, it's, it's the basic core of any economy, but uh, you, you've talked through a lot of things, uh, in, in your videos that to me were a little bit, not, not outside of what my understanding, but they were certainly enlightening. So as you look at the, the current environment that we're, that we're dealing in, um, it, it has been stressed at every level. So I look at, you know, I don't know if you, what you like the e-logs, right. And e-logs for those that don't understand or, or for yourself, I don't know, you know, what, what you've seen that, how, or how you've seen it impact, um, supply chain, but e-logs basically are electronic logs that drivers, that truck drivers have to, um, use to log their time driving, um, or even waiting for their loads and the inefficiencies in the supply chain and the the unforgiving nature of e-logs has reduced the capacity I've heard uh, by as much as 20%. Is that, does that sound right? I am very familiar with the fact that we can't get truck drivers. Okay. It's been really hard. Transport. Um, I am not always in the specifics of everything, but we're having an issue with truck drivers. Yeah. So what are the other, like for, for you and in your industry, what are the, like the most obvious, painful, um, most straightforward challenges to the supply chain? Yes. One of the things that I don't think a lot of people know and that interests me and then that I think people should know is that when you buy something from a company, you're not just dealing with the one company you buy it from. They are contracting out third-party logistics companies to get the products to different places. Um, those third-party logistics companies are meeting up with import-export people at the docks. We have factories that are not our own that produce what we need. So when you buy something, you're actually dealing with five or six different parties of people or you know businesses Layers. or anything layers. And so when one part of that supply chain breaks down, everything else falls down like dominoes. And sometimes you can react quickly to it. Sometimes you can't. So the issue we're having right now is that my business is very international. Um, fashion is produced overseas. And so you have the raw materials going into a finished product. However, when there are, you know, the pandemic started overseas and I was dealing with the pandemic because at the time I had a supplier in Wuhan. So the issue is that Wuhan would shut down everything or like the situation in Wuhan, the factory shut down there. And then by the time they were up and running again, the pandemic had moved to Europe. And that's where a lot of my products at the time were produced. And then they couldn't they had issues transporting to Europe. And then in Europe, when everything shut down, all of a sudden they had all of these raw components and nobody working at those plants. And then by the time it was ready to ship to the United States, everything had hit, like we had shut down here. And so just because like, that's the issue I'm dealing with right now, something can happen very far down the supply chain and we're not going to know the effects for a while. And it's hard to plan for that. 
Exactly. And I, I, I think you hit a really, really good point there. Like for a long time, I, I've been talking about supply chain, some of the inflationary stuff that's kind of associated with that. And everyone's like, like, initially I had a lot of critics, a lot of people complaining like, okay, Shay, you're exaggerating or, or you're trying to fear monger people, or you're, you know, you're trying to cause panic. And I'm like, I'm not, this is not like, I mean, if you watch my content long enough or you know me, you know, that's not the kind of person I'm, I mean, I get a little excited, but I generally am like trying to tell it the way that I see it. And but a lot of people were like, yeah, Shay, calm down. Like, it's not that bad. And I'm like, no, 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 it really is that bad. You just, it, it but it took six, really took six months, stuff that we were experiencing firsthand really took even in some cases more like 12 or 14 months before it made it all the way through the supply chain and everyone experienced what we had been experiencing all that time. So, you know, you, you come out looking really smart, but it's really just, you're living at that for us, we're living at the bottom of the supply chain, kind of like you're trying to make all of these components and, and those components are combined in Europe maybe, but the raw commodities are coming from all of these different locations. And, and there's this, this, you know, meeting of the, of the, of the, those different components, I would assume at a, at a single location and then they're combined and created into your product. And mm -hmm. that's what we were experiencing. We're, we're at the, but we're the, we're the raw component, right? Essentially when it comes to food, but we also consume a lot of those things, whether it's, you know, potash or nitrogen or like the, you know, the main components that we're using for fertilizer. So we experienced it really early on, but it took a long time for people to, to really believe it. So with that being said, what do you think are, what are some of the things that you're seeing now that you, that you if, if you compare it to what I just said, like I, I saw the supply chain crunch and some of the inflation way, way ahead. Is there anything like that that you're seeing now? And you're like, I can't believe that shoe hasn't fallen yet. I can't believe we haven't seen problem X, Y, or Z. Ooh, I think it's the situation. Well, first off overseas, you have the Olympics going on right now. I think that's going to be a super spreader event. Um, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So, I think we might get a situation where certain regions overseas or people coming back to the U.S. might experience shutdowns just because you have a lot of people traveling for that. And we don't really know what the results are going to be. So I'm waiting to hear what will come out of that. Um, we have had a lot. You mentioned your supply chain network, I'm assuming, is a lot of trucks, right? Because you, your farms are in the U S and so it's a very intricate supply chain network because you have trucks going to like grocery stores and, you know, various warehouses, distribution, like very specific, um, locations. Oddly Overseas, enough though, a lot of our stuff is, are imported. Like all of our raw commodities, like the, the fertilizers, for example, all come from, a lot of them come from China, right. Um, or, or other Asian countries. So we're, you, while you're sourcing your raw, like, cause you're talking about minerals, right. In your case, we're, we're doing the same thing. Literally we're bringing minerals in. So it's, it's a lot, it's so much more combined or similar than you would think. Mm -hmm, definitely. And I think the issue that I'm seeing right now, and I would say is a very important issue that we haven't quite seen the effects yet, is I have a bunch of suppliers who are coming back to me and saying, instead of 50 days transportation time to get to the U.S., we actually need 120 or something crazy amount. It's it's like adding an extra three or four weeks at least. Okay. And that will affect just the the finished goods because there will be components or parts of the the the, the product being made missing? Yes. Everything increases the lead time. So if we have all the product, the components to make something, but you're missing the, the certain lace fabric that's supposed to go 
onto the product. It's not, you have to wait for that supplier to catch up. And then by that time you've lost two or three weeks. And then by that time you're waiting for it to get on a boat because there's not enough boat space available. And then it gets to the U S and all of a sudden the factory where, or the warehouse distribution centers in the U S are not, um, able to get enough workers to sort through it. And then by that time you have retail customers that want to orders because they're already three or four months late. Right. Right. And it seems like, I mean, the, the fashion industry is famously, uh, known for being very quick paced, right? Like something that that's, uh, in style now, I don't know what, like what you guys have for numbers, but I mean, from a clothing standpoint, from a textile standpoint, it, it moves fairly quickly. So if you miss a, if you're 30, 90 or, you know, six months late on something, that's probably pretty, pretty significant. Yes. And we saw that we saw that in a really painful way this past year. I think we had some holiday stuff that just never came in until maybe January. And some cases it it really depends on what the business focus is. In some cases you can hold that product until next year for seasonal items. However, it's still a holding cost. Yeah. That's very expensive to do that. No question. So in, in closing, just cause I, I always, I'm so long winded here. I told you that's a problem that I have. Like I can, I can have these conversations last for a very long time, but wh- what is, what do you see as a solution for? Okay. So I'm going to ask something trucking specific. And, and if you feel comfortable answering it, answer it. If you don't, no problem. But I, I mean, when it comes to domestic freight in the United States, we've seen a, about 150% increase in the cost of moving freight from pre-COVID to today. And and it's kind of settled out and maybe it's reduced and it's only a hundred percent increase, which doesn't seem, I mean, that is significant, but when you're talking about fruits and vegetables and what are the margins are at retail, um, it, it, the, the retailer can absorb a lot of that, but it's, it's still changing the way that we operate. Like it's so much more expensive to grow, to send an onion, for example, to New York, which we send loads. So you, you can go down and probably find one of our onions in Brooklyn. I guarantee you can find one of our onions in Brooklyn. Um, if, but to send an onion all the way there used to cost, and, I, and I'll put these numbers out there. So per 50 pounds, I'll put it in cents, um, used to take about 12 cents a pound to send an onion all the way to, to Brooklyn. That number today is like 24 to 28 cents a pound. So yes. it's massive what the difference is. And what that does is it, it makes us less competitive. Like this, the, 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 agriculture industry is built on these regionalities, these efficiencies that we have. We're really, really like the environment where we're at is phenomenal for growing onions, for example. And so there's lots of onions grow here, grown here. We grow them and we have phenomenal yields and really good quality. And then you get the support of, you know, for byproducts and industry and expertise. So you get better and better, right? It, it, it improves. It's just like any, any industrial, you know, center, you know, the textiles industry that used to be in the Southern United States examples, you know, I mean, you just Detroit for cars, that kind of thing it's kind of similar in produce and there's regions for that, but we're, we're, even though we have phenomenal efficiencies and those used to help us compete with onion growers that are just 60 miles North of you, they couldn't grow the yields. They didn't have the growing conditions of the quality, but now that we have freight that's 20 to 28 cents versus the, uh, the, the 12 cents that it used to be. Now you, you, you're looking at changing where produce is grown and how it's grown. So it's, it's massive. So that's what I want to ask is that was a really long winded way to say, do you see anything on the, on ground transportation? Do you see anything coming down the pipeline to that might ease that pressure that might improve the conditions, bring the rates down or anything like that? Oh, um, so I have 
for example, I think this is what companies are going to start doing, in my opinion and prediction. Amazon, on my TikTok, I made a video about how Amazon last year spent like $160 million on warehousing. So I don't think transportation is necessarily going to change. However, I think there's going to be more demand for warehouses and more centralized locations closer to the customers. So that way those trucks have a shorter distance to travel. And they don't have to be so timely, right? So timely, right? Yeah, and okay. With produce, that's a little bit different, but that makes a ton of sense, right? There's, if you, if you could take the truck when it's available, you can be more flexible with the drivers and the carriers you, and you, and you get to that closer, you know, closer to that last mile to the population base. That makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. Okay. So in the large scale and that's, I, I, I mean, that's exactly what I'm looking for. So that, that's cool to know. Like you just taught me something there that, um, maybe I wouldn't have considered otherwise is the, you know, the, the, cause I have customers buy, I can see the buying happening as far as for forward distribution. So, you know, I can see the, the justification behind that a little bit better as a result of what you just said. What else do you think? I mean, I was really specific to trucking. What else do we do or what else happens and when does it happen uh, to fix or improve the circumstances in the supply chain and what's happening? So this is kind of a double edged sword in order to get ahead of any transportation issues you might encounter that make the lead times longer to get something. The answer I'm seeing right now in my current career is that you just buy earlier. So you put in those orders at factories a lot earlier than you used to. Our lead time now, we're buying like seven or eight months ahead. Um, and I think that number is going to increase. That's actually pretty short, considering the fact that the fashion industry rotates things two or three times a year. That is a pretty long lead time. Um, but I think it's going to get longer. Um, we're going to try to buy things further in advance. And the double-edged sword part of that is that you, we right now are fighting demand in the sense that during the pandemic, demand was insane because I wouldn't say demand necessarily went down, but it it fluctuated so much that you didn't know between one month and the next what people were going to want to buy. Obviously, the stimulus checks came out, and so demand increased. So you can buy a year in advance of these factories, but you don't know what's going to happen next year. And so the demand might be off the charts, or it might be so low that you have all these extra units that you are now responsible for. So I have seen us buying units further in advance, but we've also had to be really, really careful about what we are buying. It's expensive. So have you this, what, and this makes me think of something else. Have you had to diversify your supply chain? Has this, has this made you think of pulling product from other suppliers, other countries, other wholesalers, or, or have you just simply tried to adjust what you're doing with your existing suppliers? Both. Both. So, um, we like, yes. So diversifying suppliers, we call it dual sourcing. Um, you know, where you source the same things from multiple suppliers. Um, we, the, the factory up cost though, it's very expensive to get a new factory up and running. So it's been, difficult in that sense. So we have done dual sourcing and we have focused a lot of our energy on our top sellers. 
um, which is probably what you'll see a lot of businesses doing instead of seasonal things, because very difficult in these times, if you don't know if a seasonal thing is going to get here in time, it's a really big bet. And that's scary. Um, I can't see just because of the startup costs, I can't see production immediately moving to the U S um, not you, for a long but that you think that's, I mean, is that in the forecast? I mean, is that, you think that's going to happen to some extent? I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. I think it's, a I mean, the, the cost, the costs are so much higher in the United States. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I mean, I'm with you. I, I look at, you know, ag production in the U S is again, I try and draw the parallels here where I can, but we're, it's so much more expensive for us to do what we do. The difference being, um, you can live without clothes for a year and you can't live without food for a week. Um, right. so the, the, the pressure that we're having in the United States and a lot of people don't really consider it, but the, the need for food security is national national security. You really have to look at it a little bit differently and policy has to reflect that. And currently it hasn't really adjusted. So more and more and more and more of our food production is going to other countries, but we're going to pay the piper at some point, some point the, the restrictions in the supply chain are going to put us in a spot. And, and I, I think what has been happening with the supply chain, the relatively empty store shelves or the, you know, the store shelves that when you go look for something, the product isn't there is opening people, opening their eyes to that possibility. Whereas in my lifetime, really in my, my mother's life in my grandmother's lifetime, never, well, grand, my grandmother's life during world war II. So it would have been empty shelves at certain points in time, you know, during the, during her, her youth, but really in living in living memory, we've never had store shelves, whether it's clothes or whether it's food, we've never gone anywhere and not seen pretty much everything that we wanted to buy on the store shelf. And that has, not been the case off and on during the pandemic. So hopefully that changes the way that all of us are looking at things, especially the things that are critical to, you know, our existence. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I, I, Kate, I want to say thanks. Thanks for being on the podcast with me. I, uh, 23 minutes, so I didn't do too bad. I won't get yelled at too much. I don't think for this one, but, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to, to get on. And again, if you want to get on Instagram, find Kate. Kate is good. Um, follow her there. Uh, if you want to know more about the supply chain, uh, if you appreciated what you uh, were learning or you learned along with me here, like, and subscribe, uh, throw those comments in there in the, uh, in, for, in the podcast so that I know what it is that you liked, what you want to keep learning. And, uh, I appreciate you for being with me.